Let's pray. Father, it's so great to rejoice in you, Lord. You're worthy of all of our praises, Lord. In fact, you inhabit our praises, Lord. You are holy. You are above. You are in all and through all. And it is our great delight and pleasure that we can rejoice in you, that we can praise you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Lord. I pray as we gather together as a body of Christ, Lord, I pray that you would knit us together in love. I pray that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we get into your word now, I pray that our hearts would be receptive soil to receive the word the seed of your word and all that's in it, Lord. We know there's life in it, Lord. So bring forth life from your word into our hearts, Lord. We're ready to receive now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you say hello to someone, please? All right, everybody, come on in. All right, come on in and have a seat. Great to see all the enthusiasm and excitement. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord with the brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and take them out. We're back in the book of Luke chapter 10. And uh, while you're turning there, just a couple announcements this morning. Uh, Women's ministry starts up tomorrow night at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And uh, then this Wednesday night, we're starting a new book, the book of Galatians. And so it's a short book, and um, we're going to get through it really fast. This is a great time to just kind of jump in if you've never been on a Wednesday or you're thinking about coming. But um, the book of Galatians is all about the gospel of grace and an explanation of grace and what grace looks like and everything about grace, 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 and more grace. So, uh, yeah, so that's Wednesday night. Very excited for that. And um, as we get into this, uh, this section on Wednesday night, uh, this kind of, these epistles, they go really quick. We've been used to, uh, at least the last year or so, uh, longer narratives. So, uh, you know, we've been going through the Gospels, and then we went through Acts, then we went through Romans, and we went through First and Second Corinthians. So those are longer Books and now we get into these books. They're just going to go really, really fast. These these letters of Paul, but they're they pack a punch. And I know most of you know that, but um, I'm excited to get into Galatians for this Wednesday night. So, if you're in the book of Luke, we're resuming uh, our study back in the book of Luke this morning, and we're going to cover the section of scripture that runs from verse 38 to. 42, so a smaller section of scripture that um, we usually deal with, but very important. What we're looking at here is uh, sort of what we find in, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So you look at that statement, and the Bible is all filled with all these statements about doing, about action, but then the Bible is also filled with all these statements about letting God do it. So how do we integrate 
those two. That's sort of what we're going to look at this morning, this interaction between taking in and giving out when it comes to spiritual things. How does that look? What's that balance? When it comes to physical things, for example, those are something that I'm sure this morning we've thought about once or twice or many times just in the physical realm about taking in and, and giving out. Uh, one of those examples is, is eating. So we're always thinking about, well, should I or shouldn't I eat this? Because we're thinking, well, if I take in and I don't give out what I take in, the amount that I take in, then what I take in is going to settle in. And so how much exercise do I want to do if I eat this donut and, and things like that. So we also think about that in the realm of finances. So if we're at a balance in our finances where we're shoveling out more than we're taking in, then we're out of balance and we got problems in that realm. We're the work-rest balance. So should I rest one day a week and work my tail off the other six days a week, or do we prefer the opposite, in inverse? I like to work one day a week and rest <laughs> six days a week. And when we do that, we find we're out of balance as well. So how does that work spiritually? That's what we're going to look at, and that's specifically what Jesus is dealing with here. So uh, a few examples just of this sort of... Um, understanding of the two sides of this coin is uh, as far as working and taking in spiritually. So uh, on one hand, we have uh, scriptures like Colossians 3.23 that says, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. We have Philippians 3.12 that says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that word means I strain that I may lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me. Or how about 2 Corinthians 12 where it says, I will very, very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. All these things are talking about just this amount of giving out, serving the Lord, serving people giving all we got in Philippians 2.17. Paul says, yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. So that's one side of the coin. It's this understanding of just everything we have, we're just using it all for the glory of the Lord, serving him with all that we have, and that means serving one another with all we have. Then the other side of the coin, we find things like Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. So it kind of sounds like, well, we just watch God do the thing. 1 Samuel 12, 16 says, now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. And then we have Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. It says, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you 
against your enemies and to save you. Or how about Exodus 14, 13? And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And so as we look at those scriptures, they're, they're all about taking in and giving out. And so how exactly does that work? And that's what Jesus specifically wants to address. If you look at our text this morning in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, we'll read through that section here. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which, or who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted which, with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So the works, the exercising of our faith, the doing of our faith, so that's important. The devotional part of our life, the spending time with the Lord, that's important. Jesus deals with those two things. And as we look at this, it's all about how we relate to Jesus. And naturally, all of us are wired a little differently. And some are just very pragmatic, check the box, get it done. And then you feel like, well, I got it done, I checked the box. And others are just more mysterious and mystics and pondering and waiting for all the stars to align for to do something because you need to know that it's the Lord and want everything to be set up perfectly. And so we see that sort of worked out in this text. So watch first what happens. So the, the first thing that's important is we understand that what's happening here is Jesus is teaching them and us how to relate to him. So that's why in verse 38, it, it says, when it, it happened, they went into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha, she did this, she welcomed him into her house. So remember, Jesus had sent out disciples prior to this, the the 70, and then prior to that, the 12. And they were instructed to go to different cities and villages. And as they went in, they were told that if someone receives you into their house, then your, your peace will be on them. There will be good fellowship. There will be the blessing of God because the disciples would go to these places with the word of God and the message of God. And so as they would go into these houses and they received them, what they were doing is receiving the word of God, receiving Jesus through his messengers, receiving the kingdom of God, and there would be peace there. Here, here we see Martha now receiving Jesus himself. 
And what she's doing, it says, is she's welcoming him. So she's asking him to come in with a, a good heart, a heart that desires for uh, relationship. She is desiring to know him, to please him. She's wanting him to feel comfortable and uh, experience the hospitality that she can give him. And so she welcomes him in, into the house. So this is where it all starts with Jesus. If we are just to sort of walk ourselves back out of the scene a little bit and look at the big picture the, the understanding that to be in a right relationship with Jesus means that we welcome him into our heart. And when we welcome him into our heart, just like we see him welcome, uh, Martha welcoming him into her house, we see that there's, a, there's an openness and there's a willingness. Revelation 3.20 says, that God stands at the door and he knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, that he will come in and dine with him and he with me, which means that there's fellowship. That's what that's all about. That's what it's about. It's about fellowship. It's about relationship. When Martha opened her house, she was desiring and open to having a relationship with Jesus. When we do this, this will bring change. Welcoming Jesus into our heart will bring about a change. It'll bring about a difference. And this change will often bring about challenges. What happens when we welcome Jesus into our heart, there will, start, there will start to be friction, conflict. And that friction and that conflict is that Jesus is so much different than we are. And if it is about relationship and fellowship, then how do relationships and fellowships, how do they work? They work with two people or several people coming together and realizing that there has to be some agreement on something for there to be a, a relationship. The Bible says light has no fellowship with darkness. The Bible says in Amos 3, 3, can two walk together unless they're in agreement? So now this relationship is unique and different because She's not just welcoming in a normal person. She's welcoming in the Savior of the world, the Messiah. So in order for that relationship to work, she would need to come to a place where she recognizes her authority over her. And because of that, as she welcomes him in, there will be some difficulties in, in struggle in control issues. Who's in control here? When we know and understand who God is, it's a very simple thing. And so as we begin to see this story develop, what we see is this 
welcoming then brings about a certain relationship that we should have with God because he's God. This welcoming first starts with worship. Notice in verse 39. As we welcome Jesus into our life, and mind you, when we welcome him into our life, we welcome him into every aspect of our life. As Jesus would enter Martha's home, it wouldn't be proper for her to close some doors of the house and say, you're not welcome in here. This is where I have things in my closet that you're not allowed to get to. But when we open our heart and we open our life to Jesus, we welcome him into every part of that. But the second thing that we see is then the proper relationship that we're to have as we welcome Jesus into our heart. Look at verse 39. It says, So she had a sister, Mary, and what was Mary doing? She was sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his word. Now, why would she do that? It seems like this is a little different than just somebody coming over and you having coffee or tea with and exchanging ideas and discussing life and things going on in life. What we see in Mary is that she recognized her role in the relationship was to sit at his feet and listen to everything that he said. And it is significant that as she sat in his feet, she heard his word. So what is the significance of God's word? Here, Mary was interacting with Jesus and every literal word that came out of his mouth. You and I interact with Jesus in the spirit, also every word that comes out of his mouth that we have recorded for us in the scripture. So we, we see this is the proper relationship that we're to have with Jesus. It's an attitude of worship. So as Jesus is welcomed into the home, the scene shifts to Mary and immediately here Mary is sitting and she's listening. What does this mean and how does this help us in understanding how to relate to Jesus? Well, what, what this is, is, is worship. She's recognizing his deity, that he is supreme. She's recognizing that at this moment, at this time, she doesn't have anything to offer him. And so she's willing to, to sit and be quiet and to hear what he's saying. So first, when it comes to this picture of worship, understanding worship, the first thing that we need to understand is there's submission. Submission is the first order of business in worship. And that means that as we open our heart to Jesus, we, we recognize that he is God and we are not. 
that he is all-knowing and we are not, that he is all-powerful and that we are not, that he is all places and we are not. We recognize that there is a vast difference between him and us. We realize the difference between a creator and the creation. And so because of that, and this is a big first step, because this first step brings about often conflict of fighting to keep control, fighting for our own way. But when we do that, we're not worshiping. Worship is we come and we recognize who Jesus is and we bow down in submission to him. We say, your will be done. And until we do that, nothing really works right in our walk with God. Everything, in fact, will be a conflict. There will be friction. There will be like a rubbing of the tire on the, on the uh, frame of the bike. And you just feel this constant friction because the friction is God's will or, or our will. And because of who God is, and because of the importance of the relationship that we have with Him, it would be inappropriate for Him to bow down to our demands and our needs. That will never happen because He is God and we are not. And because He is God, He would never bow down to our desires and our needs and the things that we want in the area of control. So submission means that we, we let go of control, but not just randomly, we let go of control to him. In other words, we give him control. We relinquish the rights to ourselves, And we say, Lord, now your will be done. This is a huge first step. This first step brings about all the will and the plan of God that he has for us. We see that with Mary, this submission as he came in and she sat at his feet. But the second thing we notice, and it also has to do with control, is she was willing to listen. It says that she heard his word. And so, she came into this relationship knowing that his word was truth, knowing that what he said was not going to fail, that what he said was coming from a place where God is all-knowing and all-powerful and that the truth would set her free. She came with an anxious anticipation, a belief that his word was always going to be that in which would never fail her. She came with this understanding that I don't have a lot of my opinions that he needs to hear. I need to hear what he has to say, every drop of it, every bit of it, and I don't want any of it to fall to the floor. So she came submitting and she came listening desiring to know everything that he has to say and wanting to make that her own. Again, it comes back to control. Submission, giving over of the control of our life to God, and then his word is then 
what he wants us to do as we give control of our life over to him. So we're listening. And this is something that is obviously very important to our church body, the word of God. That we have the word of God in front and center in our meetings and interactions because we want to know what God has to say. Because that is so important to us. And as we see here in our text, the word of God is the answer to all of our problems. It is sufficient. It is enough. So how would it be appropriate to listen to God's word if it had everything that we need in it? It, it, We would listen to it like that. Think about how many podcasts and messages and TED Talks and whatever you listen to. Imagine all this information and things that are putting out, being put out. And here we have the Word of God and God Himself tells us, this is all you need. It has everything that pertains to life and godliness. Could it be, could it be that some of our problems are a result of us wanting a different answer than the Word of God provides. And so we may seek the Word of God and have the simple answers of the Word of God, and yet we want to find something else. Maybe Joe Rogan has something better for me. (laughs) Maybe he has words of wisdom. Maybe uh, the Peterson guy, maybe he can tell me. And, And so there's this craving for people to listen to podcasts and to get information and to try to find some key to life and some secret that this guru has unfolded. And God is sitting there saying, I have given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's all found in the word of God. She listened as if he did to have the words of life Worship not only involves submission and listening, then it also involves learning. So she would listen. She listened with a heart that was wanting to know what to do. So there is a difference to to listen to see if there's something we like or something we can filter out, something maybe we can grab a few nuggets here or there, but she was listening to learn what God's will is so she could do it. That's how we're to listen to the word of God. In whatever context we're listening or reading the word of God, we're to do it with the the context of, I want to know what he says so I can do it. Lord, what are you saying? What does this mean? How do I understand this? Because I want to do that. Because you have the words of life and because you are the truth. And so what are you saying? I want to do that. This is how she was learning. But then worship also involves loving. So as she was listening, it wasn't like a class where you're studying, say, economics. And there's a professor there who's giving you the 
things that you need to know for the test. The professor may not even know your name. You may be student 130 up in the balcony there. But there was love there. There was a, a relationship there. When she worshiped him, what she was doing was exercising her will to submit to him in a way that she was using her will to love him. By surrendering and, and listening and learning, that's a practical way how we love Jesus. And so the, the interaction, and we, we don't know, you know exactly what he was saying, but as she was sitting there listening, she would be loving him. And that loving of him would bring about the, the next thing in regards to worship. There's extreme amount of enjoyment there. The Bible says that in his presence is fullness of joy. So as she would come into this time with Jesus where she would be worshiping him by submitting to him and listening to him and learning of him, she would be loving him, but then she would just be enjoying him. She would be delighting in him. There would be so much pleasure in this interaction. And so what we're looking at here is a picture of the mountaintop experience of being a Christian. This is it. This is why we were created, to have fellowship with God. This is the supreme place of mankind, human beings that we can interact with God this way, similar to the, the Garden of Eden when God placed man to have fellowship with him in this wonderful environment. This is it. There's, there's nothing better. There's nothing higher. There's nothing greater. This is the supreme end of man is to have fellowship with God, to enjoy his presence. What an amazing picture that we have of what it means to be a Christian. At this moment, she is in a position of power, of victory, of fruitfulness and service. As John 15, 4 says, abide in me and I in you. And that's what this looks, abiding looks like this, remaining together in fellowship. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. And Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. So in regards to taking in and giving out, here we kind of are getting one side, the big side of that coin. That giving out comes from taking in. That working comes from worshiping. And when we get that mixed up, we're getting out of balance. That's what we see next. Look at verse 40, and we start to see that conflict of when we welcome Jesus into our heart, but we're unwilling to submit to him, we start to see friction. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted. What a picture, isn't it? 
right over here, you have this picture of Mary worshiping. And then somewhere I picture in the background, you have pots clanging. (laughs) You have moaning and complaining and foot stomping. You have Martha distracted. And it's interesting that word distracted can be literally translated to be driven about mentally. She was distracted away from the most important thing. Her mind, and it's probably how she was sort of wired, if you will. And remember, it doesn't matter how we're wired, because in Christ we're all wired to allow him to be cha- to him to change us, right? But but you may be someone who just really struggles with just getting it done, checking the box, you know, um, just making sure that in a pragmatic way that just everything is taken care of, and and then it's pulling you away. It's it's bringing you mentally away from worship instead of worship inspiring your activity or your doing. And I just find that fascinating because that's exactly what Satan is constantly trying to do, to distract us away from worshiping God. And here we see that can even be done in what we'd maybe see it in a good way because Satan sails with the wind. And if we're the type of person that wants to get a lot done for Jesus, he'll say, Satan will say, okay, and next thing you know, no, we're highly productive, and yet it's all coming from the flesh and not from the Spirit. We're producing not fruit, but our own works. We're trying to make it happen. We're trying, trying to do things for God. And that becomes a distraction to the main thing, and that's worshiping God. It says that she particularly was distracted with much serving. So isn't that something? We could be, how could that be a distraction serving? Well, we see it here. Usually we think of serving as like, well, that's what we're supposed to do for God. But we can see it can be a distraction. And that's when our serving takes the place of worshiping. When doing takes the place of being, that's when this becomes a problem and it never fails. When we are productive in the things of the Lord in our own flesh, we will get upset, we will be frustrated. We will have a tendency to burn out. We will have a a tendency to be mad at other people. And this is exactly what happened. She is distracted with much serving. So you think about what she was thinking is, Mary's just sitting there talking with Jesus, and there's so much more that has to be done. The table's not set exactly right. 
It's set, but not exactly right. The napkins are not right. The potatoes are not right. The glass, there's one glass that has a little speck on it. It's not, and she's just sitting there talking to Jesus. And she's mad, and you can just kind of get the, the feeling like the, the more he's talking to her, the madder she's getting. And she's probably thinking, okay, they already talked about this. Can she come over now? And she, she actually approaches Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care? What a statement. So this is what happens when we are not able to relinquish control. That's what this is. It's a control issue. She's trying to control the whole situation And she's not able to let go of that control. She's probably a perfectionist. And because of that, she thinks that Jesus doesn't care about her. Now, why would she think that? Jesus came to her house. Jesus is there talking and interacting. There's a lot of other houses that Jesus didn't go to. Why would she think that? She thought that because... The way she wanted to get things done wasn't happening. And she was unable to let go of her idealistic vision of how it would look when Jesus came over. She couldn't let that go. Inflexible. The only way in her mind that she could envision Jesus coming over to her house and being taken care of by her. The only, she just had one set way that that looked and it was very precise and very measured and very perfect and planned out. And it wasn't like that. And because it wasn't like that, she started accusing Jesus of not caring. Jesus, you don't even care about me. And then notice he, she says, The reason, she says, my sister has left me to serve alone. In other words, she's now thinking this whole party, now all of it rests on me. You know what she's doing? She's adding burdens to herself. Didn't Jesus say, my burden is light and my yoke is easy? Now what she is doing is adding more burdens. Why is she doing that? Because her understanding of her relationship with God is such where she wants it to be about what she does for God, how she pleases God, how she performs and puts on before God. And now she's in a place where it's not going right. So she's actually accusing Jesus of not caring. Her mind is getting warped in her understanding of who God is just because of this one issue. And so she enlists Jesus' help. And she does this by, you notice, taking control of the whole situation. She wasn't willing to let go of maybe 
I should be over there with Mary. She wasn't willing to do that. She wasn't willing to let go of controlling the situation that didn't look exactly like she wanted it to. She couldn't let go. So we can look at this as she's praying to God that God would help her carry more burdens that weren't hers. See how our prayer life can get messed up? When we're not surrendered, it all comes from not surrendering. She won't let control go. So now she's using Jesus or wants to use Jesus to help her control it, to help her get more control back. You know, it's a great day when we realize we're not in control. Whew, man, it is a great day. And it is a great day when we get to that point where we see in this story that we can trust him and submit to his plan and his working, but she wasn't there yet. So she prays, tell her to help me. So what we see is she's basically whining. This is what happens when we have that balance incorrect. When we think that is our doing is the most important. And the doing supplants the being in his presence, the worshiping in his presence. We can never be people like that. And do you notice that there's always a conflict, even in the body of Christ, with people that are um, fulfilling God's plan through worshiping him and doing versus people that just want to get more and more and more done. In the body of Christ, there's always conflict because those two don't work together. And God is working to bring us to all to this place of the body of Christ that all of our works would come from our worship. This conflict finally ends when Jesus explains what is the most important thing. So we, we sort of look at this story and, and we see, number one, the most important thing is our relationship. That's, that's what this whole thing's about relating to Jesus, having a relationship. And it started off good for Martha. She welcomed him in, but she didn't realize that her welcoming in him in would lead to this conflict of the need for her to surrender to him. And like many of us, she's going down this road, kicking and screaming and holding on the road of surrender. So most of us don't surrender easily. We surrender hard. Most of us, it takes a lot for us to get to this point, but that's what we're seeing here. She's not surrendering easily. She's not letting go of control easily. And so in verse 41, we see how, how the, the whole thing is solved here, and this is how we win. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried. Isn't that interesting? This is what control does. If you have a worry problem, you have a control problem. Because the Bible says all things work together for good for those who know God are called according to his purposes. So why would there be anything to worry about if you know God is working everything out for good? Worry is... 
when we don't surrender to what God is doing and we fight against it. And we begin to carry these burdens that are not ours. And Jesus points this out and he says, you're just worried almost like you're frantic. And he's saying, you don't need to. The Bible actually literally in the Sermon on the Mount tells us not to worry. And the reason it tells us that is because God's going to take care of everything. Because God's in control. So he points this out, and she needed to know this. We, we need to know this sometimes, that our worrying is actually a sin. Yes, God understands it, but we have to recognize that it's not right. It's a lack of faith and a lack of trust is what it is. It's kind of like a, a little kid that just won't trust his or her parents. And parents tell a little kid to go to bed and the little kid won't go to bed. Won't eat his vegetables or her vegetables. It's just a, it just, it's just a lack of trusting. So Jesus points this out and he says, you're you just, you're worried. Jesus is dismantling her control and exposing how ridiculous it is. He says, not only are you worried, you're troubled about many things. Now think about this. Is there really anything wrong here? as far as for Martha. Is there, there really anything wrong? Is there, the, the, her whole problem is that things won't get, be getting taken care of exactly like she wanted. That's, that's the whole problem. Are you good at making problems for yourself? Making a mountain out of a what? A molehill? There's nothing really wrong here. Jesus is in her house. Hallelujah, this is great. There's nothing really wrong. But for her, in her mind, can you imagine what is going on? She's worried. She's troubled, distracted by many things. Her mind is just all over the place. There's really nothing wrong. It's just the wrong napkins or the wrong cups, or something like that. It's just not quite right. The kebabs didn't come out perfectly. It's just, there's nothing really wrong. But you know, we do that. We do that. We trouble ourselves about many things, and there's really nothing wrong. So Jesus says this, and here's the answer. If you find yourself in Mary's dress, or whatever that may mean or be. Here's the answer. So this should have us all on the edge of our seat. Here's the answer. There's just one thing that's needed. Right now, Martha, in your mind, you have made up a list of a million things that don't matter. And here I'm, to, I'm here to tell you, there's just one thing. 
So in that one statement, what's happening? All these things that are going through her mind are all erased. Doesn't that feel good? You have like a to-do list and you check something off. How good does that feel? Oh, man, that's great. You start going down, boom, 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 boom. In one statement, Jesus said he wiped out all of those things that were worrying her and distracting her and troubling her. And he said, there's just one thing. And notice he said needed. So he's not saying it's optional or something that's just uh, you can add this in. He's saying this is needed. Another way to think about this is this is vital. So this, nothing will, will work unless you get this one thing right. It's needed. It's necessary. Without this, nothing works. And he says that that one thing, Mary chose that. And he says, that's the good part. Just one thing, and that's worship. That's that picture that we have of of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and all that entails. That's it. Our relationship with God is to be such where it's a relationship where we relate to him in a worshipful way wherever we are and whatever we're doing. And he says, that will not be taken away from her. So that's, that's the work. The work is enjoying God. The work is enjoying his presence. The work is worship. But it's what comes from that then is often what's more seen or visualized. And it's this. It's the spirit-filled working of a believer in Jesus Christ. You ever heard that song, Whistle While You Work? My dad's a big whistler. So I've had people tell me... I. I heard your dad in the store. He was whistling like three aisles over. He's a big whistler. You would work and whistle and all that. And, you know, this is, this is it. Working for the Lord is not a burden. It is an absolute delight when it's the manifestation of the working of God in our heart that's coming from our worship and our enjoyment of God. And so then what we do with God and for God takes on a completely different element, a completely different look where it's filled with the joy and the power of God. This is how we want to serve. This is how we want our works to be. This is how we want our homes to be and our Churches to be filled with those who are whistling while they work. That doing whatever it is for the Lord is the greatest pleasure because it means that we're getting the opportunity to exercise what God is doing in our hearts. And when our hearts get so filled with the things of God from being in His presence, we're going to need an outlet for those things And that's what it means in John 7, 38, where it says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. And so that's what work is. That's what ministry is. That's what serving the Lord is. It's simply an overflowing of the living waters that God is flowing in our heart and is flowing out to others' heart in, in service. So should we sit? Should we serve? Should we do both? Should we do none? I think the answer is we sit and we serve. We take in and enjoy, and from that, we give out. And when we do that, now we are understanding what it means to experience the joy of the Lord. We experience the joy of the Lord coming in and going out, flowing in and flowing out. And when we do that, we'll be more like Mary than like a Martha. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for this morning and your word. I want to first and foremost just pray for anybody here this morning who is not a true believer in Jesus Christ. This morning, we invite you to surrender your life to him. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners, separated from God for all eternity. And that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The offer is open and extended to anyone who would come to Jesus by faith. And so this morning you can do that. You can simply right where you are, Cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Come into my life and help me to live for your purposes. So I pray for you. I pray for anybody who, if they were to die today, they would be separated from God for all eternity. Change that now. Cry out to him and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And I pray for anybody else here who may be struggling with the Martha syndrome, anybody who is not enjoying Jesus, anybody who's feeling burned out, tapped out, frustrated, angry at people, grumpy, I pray that you change that now by making Jesus himself and the worship of him, the center of what you do in the exercise of your energy and your time. I pray for anybody here that's distracted by life so much so that, that you haven't spent time with Jesus and you can't even remember when. I pray for those who've just gotten caught up in the tyranny of the urgent just going from one thing to another and have failed to enjoy sitting at Jesus' feet. And lastly, I pray for all of us here as we live in a world filled with distractions, 
I pray that we'd be a church body that our greatest joy would be spending time with Jesus. Let us delight in you. Let us experience the fullness of joy that comes from just being with you, sitting in your presence, enjoying your word, enjoying praising you in prayer. Let us be a people, Lord, a worshipful, worshiping people, Lord. That's our prayer this morning. Let's all stand. And we're going to worship the Lord in song as we leave. We'll have our prayer teams up front. If anybody would like prayer this morning about anything we talked about or anything else, just come up as we sing this last song and they'd be happy to pray with you. God bless you guys. Let's worship the Lord.